0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Exchanges, a Cambridge University Press podcast, the joint production of Cambridge University Press and the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, and today I'm speaking with Marissa A. Harrison, author of the book Just as Deadly, The Psychology of Female Serial Killers. Marissa, welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Well, thanks for agreeing to be on our show. I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself.
1: Well, I, uh, am a research psychologist. I work at Penn State Harrisburg. I teach psychology courses, including writing and human sexuality and physiological psychology courses. I got my PhD from university at Albany State University of New York in biological psychology. My specialty is evolutionary psychology with some social psych and some behavioral neuroendocrinology sprinkled in there. Um, and that's me technically, uh, uh, personally, I'm from Scranton, Pennsylvania. My family and friends are largely there, and uh, that's me. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. It's, it's, it's quite a, a diverse uh, range of, of, of interests in the field. What led you to write a book specifically about female uh, serial killers?
1: Uh, thank you for asking. So evolutionary psychology, I can stu- we can study basically anything, it is a framework through which we can understand really all behavior and mental processes. And I have studied everything from "Sing, I love you to sexual swinging and now to murder. And um, what happened was uh, a good friend of mine, clinical psychologist, Thomas Bowers, uh, he was conducting a forensic psychology project with his uh, graduate class at my uh, university. And I invited myself, I said, hey, Tom, could I come be part of the team? And so, We studied mass murder from different perspectives. And knowing that I was studying mass murder, a really, really, really excellent student came up to me. Her name is Erin. And she said, Dr. Harrison, can we please do an independent study on serial killers? I said, yes, because it was just so interesting. I didn't even ask what, who, wow, how, whatever. I just said, okay. And then we decided on female serial killing because it was just such an understudied topic. And so really, it's Erin's fault that I went down went down this path. Uh, and Erin was really the first person to bring up to me. He's like, oh, Dr. Harrison, you know, there's not a lot of research out there on this. So we designed a project to collect as much data as we could be, besides the evolutionary things. So clinical themes, social t- themes. Um, traumagenic themes on female serial killers. And it started from there. And then the questions just kept popping up about uh, differences in their behavior versus male serial killers, et cetera. So an interesting path. Uh, first idea was from a student. So I'm forever appreciative for, uh, to her for that.
0: I thought your book was a fascinating read, not just because of its particular focus upon female serial killers, but it really talks about serial killers in general and 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 really our, our, our fascination with them. And I was wondering if you could start us off perhaps by talking a bit about what You know, distinguishes a serial killer from, say, other types of of murderers and other you know types of criminals, and and why is it that are we're just so you know fascinated by them compared to say other criminals.
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, the definition of serial killing that we use is three or more deceased victims intentionally killed with at least a one week cooling off period in between. Uh, And also just an asterisk, my friends in the criminal justice field remind me serial homicide offender is a preferred term but i'm just so used to writing and reading serial killing that i'm going to continue to use that term so uh anyway <laughs> so that's what that. i mean that's i'm i'm used to it so that's what a serial killer is now a mass murderer would be someone who i mean and depend you can pick up five different books and find find five, de- five different definitions uh mass murder is usually at three or four deceased victims in a single incident and whatnot and then there are killings and whatnot i don't want to define them incorrectly that's not my area um even though i did work a little bit on a a mass murder project way back in the day and i think we used maybe three or more victims and please don't quote me on that so i don't want to define incorrectly but serial killer is you know intentional Killing with cooling off in between each victim. And you know, you really could find different definitions out there. For example, the United States FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, I believe they still use two, two victims. Um, but in academia, I believe you'll generally find three or more deceased victims. Um, so that's the definition. And then you ask, why are people interested in, in serial murder? And again, my example is my student Aaron said, Do you want to study this? And I said, Yes. I didn't even ask why or what or who or how, or I said, let's, yeah, let's do it. It's very, very interesting. And, um, I, I personally believe, uh, that the interest in serial killer killers ties into a larger morbid curiosity, which ties into an evolved protective vigilance. Okay. Marissa, what are you saying? So evolutionarily speaking, we are genetically pre-programmed to pay attention to things that can hurt us, all right? Now, I'm not saying, hey, go listen to a podcast about Jeffrey Dahmer so that you can make plans. I'm not saying that. It is, uh, (laughs) right, right? So it's unconscious motivation to pay attention to harmful things so that we can encode that information and avoid if possible. So again, I think that's protective vigilance evolved, tying that into a larger concept of morbid curiosity. And face it, people are really interested in, horror and gore. And, you know, if you're driving by a, a, an unfortunate car accident, you will turn your head to see what's going on. We're just really seem to be pre-programmed to do something like that. Now, Mark, that being said, I don't think every person has the same level of interest or morbid curiosity. <laughs> there are some people who are really, really, really into listening to or reading about or watching this kind of thing. And there are people that, like I had dinner with my friend the other day, she doesn't want to hear about it at all. Oh, good for you, Marissa, with the <laughs> book. Let's talk about puppies and flowers and musicals. I, I promise that's what she said. So, right. So on average, I think people have a peaked curiosity. And then there are some people who are really, really, really into the topic. And I talk about that in my book.
0: <laughs> one of the things that you uh, address in your book is, is that cultural fascination we have with it, not just as, as individuals in a, in a, in a you know, sociobiological sense, but also the fact that, that there's such a part of our culture. I mean, we can just rattle off the, the, the TV shows, you know, Mindhunter, Criminal Minds. We can talk about the movies like, you know, Silence of the Lambs and, and, and how we, we just the, the, the fact that there's so many and they have such a, 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 a cultural footprint just speaks to that fascination. And one of the things I was struck by when I was reading your book and you were relating all the many, the cases of female serial killers it is how that fascination is not a new one about how it, it, that you, the reporting that you draw upon you, which, which, you know, sadly is, isn't always as, as detailed or as accurate as we would like, nonetheless speaks to how, when these events take place, they, they, there is such a curiosity about them and, 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 uh, does that curiosity grow? or did you did you find that it that it grew because you, when you had these incidents going back to say the nineteenth century where when when it was identified that these were women instead of just you know men?
1: So that's a really interesting question. And I I don't know how to answer that fully, because I know back in the day when serial murders were committed, people were extremely fascinated. For example, in the turn of the century, the 1900s, Belle Gunness, she killed maybe about 100 people. When they were exhuming her farm, finding the bodies, people were taking train excursions to the farm to watch this they were selling souvenirs and food on the side of the road as this was happening dead victims being exhumed from a hog pit and people were watching this but these days we have such a wide dissemination of stories and technology it is so freely and widely available people are drawn to it so i don't know if the interest has grown i think we were always really interested in horror it's just that it is more readily available available to us now and we could document its popularity. So I think we've always had morbid curiosity and we always will. Uh, but that that's it. it seems to <laughs> or it does seem to continue to grow. I mean, there is such a thing as a, a a murder convention, like a murder con, where people attend to learn about murders and whatnot. I I don't recall any, or reading about any of those events previously, like around the time of Belganis. Uh So perhaps it is growing, but I do know the initial curiosity. I believe it's been there since we've been people. Hmm.
0: You spend a good part of the book. Delving into the various aspects of the lives and, and and actions of female serial killers, I'd like to spend some time going into a bit more detail there. I was wondering if you could start by by talking a bit about the lives of female ser- serial killers. I I understand that we're talking about something here that that were such it's such a. a you know, diverse group over time and place that you can't simply, you know, easily say that there's a particular type, but you go into various aspects of it and, and you search for common threads. I was wondering if you perhaps talk a bit about those lives, maybe some of the uh, most illustrative cases and, and what that maybe tells us a bit about female serial killers and what distinguishes them from their male
1: counterparts. Okay, so sure, uh, absolutely. So um, we collected data for my initial project, and I write about this in the book. Um, My team and I collected data from a sample of 64 women who committed Serial homicide offenses in the United States since the I think it was like the early 1800s, and um, certainly everybody's a little bit different, right? As you said, but we did find some commonalities, and we, you know, I'm a data wrangler, so I take statistics and look at you know frequencies and means and whatnot. Uh, and from the project that we did, my team and I constructed a composite. Um, so I don't think there's a the quote unquote typical female serial killer, but here's some of the common threads that we found. Um, She's likely to be white. She's probably in her twenties or thirties. She's probably been married at least once. I think the average was two times. Some female serial killers have been married as much as six, many as six times. Um, so at at least high school education, probably some college. About. about 40% were nurses or some other direct caregiving role. Um, Where I got information about religion, which wasn't that frequent to be able to obtain, but where I did 100% of the time they were Christian. Um, And they committed their crimes. The most common method was using poison so uh and then oh i do want to say the most common motive was financial gain so that was the generally speaking although the presentation was not homogenous as you said uh that was some of those were some of the commonalities we saw now in terms of comparing the differences between uh male and female serial killers there are an awful lot and my team and i we 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 did a set we conducted a separate study on that, and I wrote about this in the book as well. And we did find some stark differences between the crimes of male and the crimes of female serial killers. Uh, we found some background differences and 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 motive differences, of course. Um, so women are more likely female serial killing f- female serial killers are more likely to have been in a relationship at the time of killing, more likely to be middle class versus. Male serial tend to be lower, uh, lower so- socioeconomic status. Um, uh- Male serial killers, the most common method of killing we found was asphyxiation. I believe that's in line with what other researchers have said. Female serial killers was, again, poison. Um, And there were a lot of other differences I found very interesting. And that leads me to bring up a a point in that um, if you log on to and read about Federal Bureau Investigation, the United States FBI, uh, information, what they have out there about serial killing, it speaks very largely if only to male serial killer description and motives. And so I I, I think there's a, a misconception out there that males and females uh, in terms of serial homicide commit the same types of crimes. And that's just, a I think I called it in the book, a deadly assumption, right? So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, they're not the same. I mean, dead is dead, right? So a, vi- a dead victim is mm-hmm. a dead victim, unfortunately. Um, but the crimes and the motives and even who, whom they target is a little different. Yeah. So female serial killers are far more likely to target somebody they know, and a male serial killer is more likely to target a stranger. So I do think recognizing these differences would help us detect uh, and or catch uh, a homicide, serial homicide offender a little bit sooner, I hope.
0: That gets to a distinction you made uh, in the book that I was really struck by, which is how you, the fact that the differences there really define how we go about, uh, you know, arresting them and, 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 and uh, and stopping them. And, and, and that formulation, I thought you, you, you put it so well, uh, when you put it as we have to catch male serial killers, but we have to detect female serial killers. I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate a bit about, about why it is that, that female serial killers uh, you know, required detection. Why, why they don't have the sort of displays that we, we tend to associate. I, mean, I was thinking about it from another perspective about how you know uh, male serial killers collect trophies and female serial killers collect checks, and, and about you know wh- what's what's going on there in terms of, in terms of the, of the differences and 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 in you know, and how that bears out you know, collectively uh, in, in in very uh, consistent ways
1: right exactly so i i I do want to give the caveat that in in my work i haven't really studied the insides and outside of male serial killers right my expertise is female serial killers and i study males in as much as i can make the comparison but to the best of my knowledge to my understanding male serial killers keep trophies and such so that they might you know relive the the crime and sexual fantasies that might be associated with it um it's it's my understanding from from the from the evidence what i believe is that female serial killers well they don't they don't want to get caught they're not playing a catch me if you can they want the checks as you said the killings are the means to an end they want the profit versus it may be the case that male serial killers are killing for the crime itself for the killing itself the joy is in the kill itself versus for the females it seems like well i just want to kill this person and then either get them out of the way or collect the end benefit so I do believe, and, th- and thank you for for uh, for saying that you appreciated my uh, categorization. I, you know, the evidence to me shows that we catch male serial killers because they leave along a series of clues and, and victims and brutality that we, you know, we we just say, okay, wow, we have a serial killer out there. Uh, but we have to detect female serial killers. Maybe there's three dead husbands or three dead babies, or and that's really terrible and and, and, and horrible to imagine. Right. Um, or, um, Somebody's a nurse, and and it's it's statistically unlikely that a certain number of patients would have died in their wing under their care. And we say, hey, oh wow, we might have an angel of death. So I do think there are stark differences there. And the reason that's important is to help law enforcement. I mean, you know, with with the definition of of serial killing to, to me and other academics being three or more deceased victims. I mean, what if we can stop you at one or two, and then you wouldn't be a serial killer and prevent those deaths or, or uh, recognized personality traits and, and and, predispositions ahead of time so, to, so as to present it, um, so as to prevent it ahead of time. Uh, and just let me say one more thing, if I might. One commonality, although it was a little bit of a statistical difference, was the profound histories of mental illness in both male serial killers and female serial killers. Now, female serial killers, it was about 40% with mental illness, male serial killers. It was, it was close to 90%. That's what my team found. Um, and you know, that there, there could have been cases we missed and and back in the day, there weren't the, the, the categorizations we have now in terms of mental illness, but I I think it's on the right track to, to estimate. In fact, I think that's probably the number is probably a little bit low for female serial killers, 40%. So detecting helping people with mental illness before you know before danger happens before aggression happens before murder happens because they're people too right so again it's interesting i emerged with the book um certainly certainly exclamation point feeling horrible for the victims but i i read the histories of these individuals and thought wow hey if somebody had listened to them or helped them back in the day when they were children maybe these, maybe the victims would not have been victims, right? So it, it, interesting themes emerged from, from writing the book for me.
0: That is something that I was thinking about as I was, you know, reading your book, which is, you know, the, the, the things that they kind of stood out in retrospect, I, I was especially fascinated by how you use data to show how with the benefit of hindsight, we, we can see that, you know, that, that you know, when this nurse was on duty, and it's not necessarily at the hospital, but specifically when she was on duty, the number of of you know uh, of you know crashes just went up dramatically, and 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 where they had to do interventions because of you know various problems, and, and how the, these things you know, become evident retrospect in, in a way that that make it easier to identify. And then when we you know when, when 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 these female serial killers are identified, and we investigate their lives, you know. A lot of details come out in terms of their, you know, you were just talking about their family background. You know, another aspect you address is substance abuse, and, oh, and how, in just in the same way that not every person who is abused becomes a serial killer, neither does everyone who suffers from substance abuse become a serial killer as well. But the correlations there just just, just point to the, the that commonality that that exists for all of them.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And uh, you brought up data and certainly our criminal investigators, you know, use statistical likelihoods and mathematical modeling to determine, wow, you know, it is the odds are one in eight billion. All these deaths would have happened on this ward at this time. We do use that. But I, I did want to emphasize that in just as deadly, um, I, I certainly put forth some opinions but they were to you know I'm I'm a psychologist they were ev- I'm a research psychologist they were evidence based and I think what makes just as deadly uh different than some other books that you might pick up uh you know on various internet sites or at the store is that I have at least 1200 references in the book what I talk about is backed up with science or with quote unquote facts that I got from newspapers and court reports and and historical societies so I tried my my darndest to, to make sure I had quote unquote, the receipts for everything that I was, was talking about. Right. So just just to make sure. Um, so, and then you, you mentioned something, uh, something else that I hope that I, I brought home in the book. So, um, looking at the lives of female serial killers or male serial killers. We can look at an, any number or any layer of factors, right? There could be biological and evolutionary and family factors and trauma factors and cultural and gender and other historical factors. But you could check all those boxes and not kill anybody, right? So almost anybody who's ever lived in the history of earth has not been a serial killer. And we know this. So, um, Certainly, right? So somebody with traumagenic experience, it doesn't mean you're gonna grow up and, and, and when they're a kid doesn't mean you're gonna grow up and hurt somebody and somebody with mental illness is actually far more likely to be victimized than they are to hurt somebody else. So you could check all those boxes. But Mark, like you said, it does help to have some kind of understanding, some kind of statistical formula or representative package in front of us to say, oh, okay, we might be able to identify individual X because of, A, B and C. And so when we have a criminal profile or we have these statistics in front of us, it doesn't guarantee with metaphysical certainty, we're going to catch this person, but it does serve as a good starting point. It's better than nothing. Right. And that's what, what uh, criminologists say, a profile, it's not a guaranteed success, but at least it's, it's, at least it's a starting point. (laughs)
0: Now, you, we've been talking a lot about profiles and statistics, but I have to say, one of the parts about the book I enjoyed the most from a reading perspective was the case studies. And I was wondering if you could perhaps, uh, uh maybe share with us a, a, a case study or two, because I, I feel it not only does it, does it demonstrate methodology, but I, I think it, it, it the the ones you choose nicely illustrate your points and i mean i i i could i i there, there are a couple that, that that stood out for me but I, i'm curious to know what what what, what one or two because I, I think you know bell Gunnis was what was fascinating to me simply because of the the sheer number of 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 people that she killed and the fact that that she was never caught and but what what, what one or two in particular stood out for you that in terms of maybe being a a, a being particular interest or or particularly illustrative of uh, some of the, uh, you know, the parameters that that make up the profile of a female serial killer.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I I believe that Jolly Jane Toppin, the nurse does typify the profile that we we put together. Um, You know, so she was, a, a, a nurse, she killed about nah, authorities thought maybe 30 something people, but she said, Oh no, closer to a hundred people. Um, she would give people meds in a combination of sedative and amphetamine to basically kill them and bring them back to life and watch these cycles repeatedly in her nursing duties. She would get in bed and hold them so she could feel them when she when when they died. Um, and she, Certainly had mental illness, and so psychiatrists back in the day, and this was in the 1900s, the early 1900s. Psychiatrists were called alien alienists, right? And the, anybody who examined her, the one quote was, "She was a remarkable specimen of degeneracy." Which I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I've, I've, you know, I feel bad for people with mental illness. I don't want to call them that, but she she laughed when the jury was was out uh, uh, deciding her fate. So she just kind of lost touch with reality. Um, I do firmly, I now I'm not a clinical psychologist. She's not here for me to interview her. I do firmly believe she checks all the boxes for schizophrenia and likely psychopathy. Um, uh, but I'm not qualified to make diagnoses, but as they say, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I think we could probably agree on those, those symptoms. Um, and she, as she was, uh, institutionalized instead of putting put in prison and she would scream in the night. She would write letters that uh, that they were trying to poison her. She would write letters that all her deceased victims were coming back at ghosts and trying to kill her. And so we have a nurse, we have somebody who was mentally ill, somebody who was white, somebody who was middle class because she actually was a really good nurse and got paid well for back in the day. And she was pretty and she was, they call her Jolly Jean because she was always smiling. And and so wow that's somebody you really wouldn't expect to do this kind of thing. So I think Jolly Jane is, is one of the, you know, the, the, the prototypes that we're talking about.
0: The, another one that stood out for me was uh, Nanny Doss. And, and, I, 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 and, and she came to mind for me again because she had, it was another one where she ends up being defined by her outward reaction. The, the, she's the giggling granny. And and but what stood out for me about the case was how you had this this consensus that it, it uh, for for someone and th- this is this is more uh, mid twentieth century where this consensus among uh, the psychologists and the examiners that 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 she was mentally ill and yet the judge basically said no we're going to try her uh, you know as you know not as we're not going to treat her as mentally we're just going to treat her as a regular criminal and 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 how it, it struck me as, it, not just in terms of her as a person but how you're seeing and this is another aspect of your book i thought was very interesting but it's not over the theme about how we see through it the changing responses to oh, female yeah. serial killers over time how, how they go from being this this, this novelty to where they try to figure out how to deal with them to the point where you, you see by you know in, in more recent times how the, the, there's there's a more systematic effort to come to an understanding as to you know the, the female serial killers as a group and, and, and treat them not just psychologically but legally as such
1: oh you're absolutely right i mean Nan- nanny Doss killed all of her husbands her two daughters her grandchild i believe i think she even killed what her husband's dog. Uh, She poisoned everybody with, with arsenic. Um, And when they would interview her, she would laugh and be ready for the camera. I mean, the woman, you know, clearly had some issues and she was diagnosed by psychiatrists. And then at trial, the jury was left to determine that she was sane, and they did. Um, But at least she was put in prison Um, she was not given a death penalty. She was put in prison. She served the rest of her days there. She died of leukemia. And very interestingly, I thought, you know, she poisoned so many people with arsenic and one cause of leukemia is thought to be arsenic exposure. So, uh, an interesting and, oh, and just in prison, you know, she was a notorious poisoner and in prison, her role was, she worked in the prison bakery. So, Working in the kitchen, <laughs> I thought was an interestingly ironic assignment for a notorious poisoner. But, yeah, it, it is a, quite a case. And you're right. It has come a lot. I, I think our understanding, I think our fascination is still there. But our understanding of mental illness has, has come a long way in the United States, Um well, let, let's hope. I still think there's there's a lot of room for improvement, but at least recognizing that somebody needs help, and 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 emphasizing that the earlier the better, you know, in in one's life, if somebody experiences a trauma or displaying s- symptoms of of uh, mental illness, get them help as as early as you can. And, and that gets
0: us to the, the the last part of your book, where you you take a lot of these details and a lot of this. Uh, you know, understanding that we have, and, and you you draw general conclusions from it. You, you you talk about behavioral neuroscience. You you talk about the psychosocial factors, and then you get to the, this question, which I I think really you know is 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 one of the the the, the you know. Most fundamentally important things you do in this book, which is how does this change our understanding of serial killers? And I think this is something that's especially important because so much of that understanding that we get, you know, comes through that media. It's, it's either the, the spectacular case or the, you know, the fictionalized, uh, you know, Hannibal Lecters out there. What, what does all this teach us about social serial killers in, in ways that, that help us better to understand them and then hopefully, uh, catch or even prevent them?
1: Sure, absolutely. So there's a couple takeaways. You know, I, I hopefully accumulated knowledge to write the book, and then I, I, <laughs> I developed knowledge as I, I wrote the book. I really came away with some, some themes. And so I do believe that validating that there are legitimate differences between male and female serial killers is going to allow us to detect and catch and make criminologists and the police force jobs just a little bit easier. We, we must acknowledge that there's a difference. We also must acknowledge that women are capable of doing this. Um, I it, it seems like society might still be pressed to believe that a woman, a, a woman could commit such such crimes. My, my colleague author, Patricia Pearson talks about this in her books as well. She says, you know, there's such a gender stereotype that, you know, People think women, you know, are just incapable of committing crimes, and it's—I mean, it's not true. That's why I got the title "just as deadly." I mean, there's a, the victim count is <laughs> is arguably just as as deep as uh, compared to male serial killers. You get some people who disagree with me on that, but they can call me. Uh, <laughs> they call me. I, I've got numbers. So we could talk about it. Um, and so I, I I left with the takeaway that we certainly need more mental you know i i keep saying it a broken record but please more mental health it mental health professionals more mental health you know recognition when someone's displaying signs that they need help I mean, we need to get to people early on and let's say that we just can't do that i i so I, I so am keenly aware that our police and our detectives do not have the money that they need to pursue cases like this and i i my friends in the new york state police tell me that You know, it's not like you see on TV. It's not like you see CSI or whatnot, where you send the stuff to the lab and the next day you have CODIS and whatever and the DNA. No, it doesn't work like that. They need money and money and money to do those tests. And and our our police are severely Underfunded with that type of thing, so we need mental health help. We need more police resources to help us uh, catch and, and and do this. And I mean, maybe we could catch somebody. Let's say somebody commits horribly, commits a homicide. Maybe we can catch and stop them before they commit number two or number three to qualify them as as a serial killer. So I do think we just need to keep understanding. And then another thing, and you mentioned this is you know paying attention to the facts. And um, I I know that. True crime is such a popular genre, and uh, I, I I just hope the sources are accurate. You know, I may be a boring old academic, but I could just back up everything I've said with with data and facts and and, and resources I have read untrue things in my, in my journey. For example, there's a, and I'll, I'm going to talk about a male serial killer for a second, Ed Gain, right? So the butcher of bakers, whatever it was called, Ed Gain, he would cut up bodies and wear the body parts. And his his story inspired you know, the things like a Texas chainsaw massacre and, and uh, silence of lambs and whatnot. And there was always a, a rumor that he was a necrophilia acts. So in other words, you know, sexual acts with dead bodies. I didn't see that anywhere in the original reports. I didn't see it anywhere, not in the newspaper, not in the, in the forensic reports. I didn't see that anywhere. I think that legend evolved. I mean, he did exhume bodies and keep body parts for, to make costumes and whatnot, and, and but he, I, I didn't see anything about the necrophilia. So it's just an example about how legends evolve. So if you wanna understand, you have to pay attention to facts. And so, you know, I ask people do that. If you, if you read something, here's something, say, hey, how do you know that? Where do you get that? We do that in all psychological science. All right, you're telling me something is true. How do you back that up? What numbers did you get that from? Where was the population got that from? So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to question authority.
0: It strikes me as so much more challenging with serial killers because we tend to focus upon the extreme and the purient, and 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 oftentimes we like to, you know, you know, season it that way because it makes it even more gruesome and 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 and, and, and fascinating to us.
1: Oh, I, I believe you're right. I think that's why, you know, people could rattle off male serial killer names, but can't rattle off female serial killer names because the, the, the murder is there. It's gruesome, but there's also largely the sexual component that you're not going to find in female serial killers. Not, not typically. I, I, I think I might've seen one case where there was alleged violation of a, a dead body by a female serial killer, but it's just, you know, all of those alarming things like murder and, and sexual assault and dismemberment and whatnot, that captures our attention more than poisoning, you know, maybe innocent mm-hmm. children would.
0: Well, we appreciate the time you've taken to speak with us, but before you go, could you tell us what you're working on now?
1: Sure. So I'm, Trying to promote my book, Just as Deadly, The Psychology of Female Serial Killers. Uh, Right now, I'm in the middle of a semester. I'm a psychology professor. But in the summer, I do have plans to start another book. And I'm going to set my sights on focusing on uh, nurses who kill. So I think that's my next project. I have some things on paper and in my brain to work on about that. And uh, I'd, I'd like to go to libraries for original sources and whatnot this summer, maybe do some traveling to do some investigation. So that's where I'm at.
0: Well, given what you write about the, uh, some of the individual cases of nurses in, in, in this book, I, I look forward to seeing that one when it comes out.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Marissa, thank you very much for time, taking some time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. You too.